tonight. Let's uh, we're gonna do something a little different tonight. So let's all stand. We're gonna sing about three songs right together. So uh, y'all just kind of follow along, and we'll see how this goes. Yeah. 
that will be. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. people said. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Amen. Give Terry a big hand. Amen. Amen. I enjoyed that. Amen. Now I'm so winded, I don't know if I'll be able to make it rest service or not. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. Let me make a couple of announcements and we'll take up our prayer list tonight. Remember this coming Sunday, being the very first day of the new year, 2023, we will be having Sunday school, morning service, evening service, and then big chili cook-off after all of that. So uh, you make your plans to be with us and praying for that service. And tonight, right after service, Sister Michelle Vickers wants to undecorate everything. Amen. She's put in the order, so any of you that could stay and help us out, I know uh, we'd appreciate it. As far as our prayer list goes tonight, let's remember to continue praying for Sister Janet Matthews and that God would be with her in her recovery. Uh, Brother Al Williams, Brother, uh, Shane Lassiter, how about your prayer request tonight? Anybody? Anything else on anyone's heart? Uh -huh. 
Miss Peggy is sick. We need to pray for Peggy Jackson. Okay. The roaches are on the way back. Anybody else tonight? Anything else on your hearts? Pain? Anything else? Anyone else on anyone's heart tonight? All right. Let's come gather at these altars tonight, praying for these requests. If you need a study sheet, they're on the table. And if you have any missionary money to give, you can give it at this time. Let's come pray together. Brother Nathan Dinsmore wanted us to put this out to you. Uh, he's been doing some clearing of uh, some land that we have in the, on the backside. And he, uh, he has got a lot of wood piled up out there that he's going to begin burning tomorrow. And if you have any need for any wood, if you want to come out here early tomorrow and get it, it it'll be yours. So uh, remember that. All right, we're going to be in the book of Acts tonight, chapter number 7. There's three books in your New Testament that if you can get these three books right, they'll help you understand the, the rest of the book, the whole Bible. And that's the book of Matthew, the book of Acts, and the book of Hebrews. Those three books are very controversial books, some of the things that are 
that are written in there and misunderstood books of the Bible. But if we can get these three books, and especially the book of Acts, uh, right and rightly divided, we'll understand a lot of what transpires throughout the course of the rest of the New Testament. The book of Acts is a transitional book. You're coming out of the law into grace. You're coming from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You're coming from primarily the Jewish nation uh, into the church age, whereas Jew and Gentile, a lot of things transitioning in the book of Acts. You may remember from our last study out of Acts chapter 6, they had a, a problem within the church. There was some murmuring that arose among the, the Grecians, and uh, they were complaining that their widows were, not, were neglected in the daily ministration. And so the solution offered by the leadership of the disciples, they said, well, let's, I want you to choose out seven men Seven men who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and of, and of a good report. And we'll put, we'll put those seven men over that business. And one of the men who were chosen out of those seven was a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is a main character in the book of Acts. A lot of people don't understand the role that he is playing but he is playing a major, major role in the book of Acts. And he emerges from those seven men to the top, and he now is going to be highlighted in the entire chapter of Acts chapter 7. And we're going to look at the first 36 verses of that chapter 9. I believe there's 60 verses all total in that chapter. And most of that chapter is Stephen preaching to a particular group of Jews known as the Sanhedrin court. The, uh, so you might say they are the religious supreme court of the Jewish religion. And we want to look at some things of what happens uh, and draw that out as we study together, beginning in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. If you look at your study sheet with us tonight, the Word of God reads like this, or <laughs> the study goes like this. Stephen has emerged as a highlighted defender and witness of the Christian faith. Even though his time as such will be short, his interaction with the Jewish leaders of his day will be of major significance, and we'll see that play out as we near the end of the chapter. Stephen began his role as someone who would tend to the business of serving Grecian widows in the daily ministration of the church. Seven men were selected for this task, but Stephen was chosen as the one whom God would use to stand against the opposition of the religious elites. Stephen's role may have begun as a lowly servant among many, but his importance would quickly escalate under the mighty hand of God. When anyone is chosen by the church for any position, it is a major undertaking, no matter the task. God's eyes are upon every servant, and he will work and watch to ensure that they are well suited for the service. How they respond to his touch and leading will determine their advancement. 
Paul was well acquainted with the realm of serving uh, God, and he was well aware of God's watchful eye and enablement. Paul wrote these words about his his service and 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 work within the ministry. He said in First Timothy one twelve through fourteen, he said, "And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, watch this, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry." who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul realized that God's business was the most important service in the world. And he stepped up to the plate and became a faithful and usable member of the body of Christ. He remained faithful to his given tasks, and he also remained moldable in the hands of God. Stephen has now been selected to step up to the plate, and he will not disappoint his master. After the accusations have been hurled at him, the judicial council turns to see Stephen's reaction. They naturally would expect to see fear or contempt, but they see the face of an angel. Instead of hatred and hurt, they see heavenly assurance. And we read this in Acts 6.15, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face. It had been the face of an angel. What will happen next? Let's listen as a man full of the Holy Ghost and the wisdom of God begins to address a maddened crowd of religious bigots. Number the the main thing that we want to consider out of this chapter is the honesty that is demanded. They said in verse number one, the high priest asked him, said, then said the high priest, are these things so? Or what things so? A charge had been set against Stephen before the highest Jewish court of the law. And now he must answer and plead his defense. Stephen had been accused of making statements that would incite an insurrection, but they were lies of falsehood. We read about this in Acts 6, uh, earlier in Acts chapter 6. It said, And there arose a certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them a Cilician of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they suborned men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Their hypocrisy is spilling over the desk where they are seated. They have willingly and knowingly hired men who are purposefully lying about Stephen, and yet they demand Stephen tell the truth. Are these things so? They foolishly are asking him to admit that he has committed these false charges. How do you answer such foolishness? How do you get to the bottom of a lie? 
The Bible says that there are only two ways to answer a fool. And we read about this in Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5, where the Word of God says it like this. He said, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. It does not matter which way you answer a fool. A fool is a fool, no matter what they hear. If you enter into their foolishness, you will be caught up in their foolish ways and become like them. If you try to reason with them, their conceit will further their foolishness. A conceited, foolish person considers themselves extremely wise, and yet they remain deceived by their own making. We read about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, the root cause of it, what leads to this kind of foolishness. It says this, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. A man's foolish ways begin with his concept and treatment of God. When someone knows God and yet will not glorify Him or acknowledge Him as God, their hearts have nowhere else to go except unto foolishness. We live in one of the most foolish generations. Professing themselves to be wise, they cannot determine if someone is male or female. Instead, they have created a world of imaginations that are not real to excuse their perverted foolishness. A Google search will reveal the foolish absurdity of such reasoning today with a list of over 60 genders by the experts. It would be impossible for anyone to enter into a simple discussion of the gender crisis that exists today with anyone who subscribes to such reasoning. And this crisis exists because they refuse to accept God's explanation of the truth about gender. We read that truth in Genesis 1 verse 27 where the Word of God describes it like this. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. So Stephen is asked, are these things so? Now Stephen is going to take the, the forefront. He's going to take the conversation over. They ask one question, and the remainder of the chapter, almost in its entirety, is Stephen answering this question. Stephen begins answering the question with a warning, and he talks about their rich beginnings. And he said, Men and brethren and fathers hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Sharon. And from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Stephen does not try to answer their question. Rather, he addresses them by imploring them to hearken to what he is about to say. The word hearken is a strong word of warning and concentration. 
By definition, it means to give attendance to what is uttered with eagerness and obedience. Stephen is standing before the judicial court known as the Sanhedrin Council. They're the highest court of the Jewish religion, and they're the ones that hear the hard cases. Their verdict will determine the outcome not only of the religion they represent, but also of the nation of Israel. Stephen is warning them to listen closely closely to what he is about to say. Stephen is not interested in a personal acquittal. He is interested in the truth. So he carries these judges back to their humble beginnings when Abraham was still Abram. God found Abraham living as a Gentile in the foreign land of Mesopotamia. We know he was a Gentile because there was no such thing as a Jew before Abraham. They worshipped all the false gods of that land and yet the God of glory appeared to him and made him an offer that he did not refuse. God called Abraham out of that pagan Gentile land and promised to lead him to a land that would become known as Israel. The place these Jews were residing was that promised land. Then he talks to them about their rigorous bondage. Verses 5 through 7 of Acts 7, it says it like this. And he gave him none inheritance in it, speaking of Abraham. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him. When as yet he had no child. And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. Stephen reminds them that Abraham did not get to personally inherit the promised land. Abraham was a sojourner, dwelling in tents as he followed God by faith. Today, he would be known as a nomad because he lived out his days traveling from one place to another as God led him. Abraham never enjoyed the place. All he had was the promises. Stephen's accusers have contended that he said Jesus would destroy this holy place. Before there was a place, there was God. Stephen is trying to bring them back to the realization that it is not the gift, but rather the giver who is important. That is a lesson that we all need to constantly be reminded of. We get so wrapped up in the blessings God has given us that we forget the real reason we have the blessings is God. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God. That is where we all came from. We would not have anything without the God of beginnings. As someone once said, I came into this world without, with nothing. And I've managed to pretty much hold on to that. <laughs> no matter what we have in life, it is God who has given us our blessings. Can I get a witness? These pious Jews needed to be reminded of that glorious truth. They're living in a land that is only theirs because of God's promises. And yet the blessing did not come without their battles. 
The nation of Israel would be brought into hard bondage one day and served rigorously in the land of Egypt. But God would miraculously bring them forth and they would eventually enjoy the land promised. Then he talks to them about their refused brother. This, as this thing builds, boy, Stephen is setting them up. He, he, is, he is working them like a, a skilled lawyer. Verses 8 through 16, he talks about this refused brother. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out the, our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, Three score and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died. He and our fathers. And were carried over unto Sychem. And laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money. Of the sons of Emor and the father of Sychem. Despite their battles. The seed of Abraham kept increasing through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob was named Israel by God in Genesis 32, and he begat 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Stephen refers to these 12 sons of Jacob as the 12 patriarchs. A patriarch is a father and ruler of a people. These 12 men were the noted leaders, and they had a brother named Joseph who they could not stand. He was the favored son of Jacob because he was the son of his older years. He was also a dreamer who knew God would bless him above all the sons of Jacob. So the patriarchs, the leaders of the nation of Israel, moved with envy and sold their brother Joseph into slavery. As far as they were concerned, Joseph was history. They even concocted a lie to tell their dad Jacob. They told him that Joseph was dead, and as proof, they brought his blood-drenched coat of many colors. But it was all a lie. Does that sound familiar? These judgmental Jews standing before Stephen have done the same thing as their predecessors had committed. They have fabricated lies against Stephen. Their motive for doing so is exactly the same also. They are envious of this new way to God, which will eventually be known as Christianity. The old way is insufficient, but they do not want to admit nor acknowledge it. Instead, they fabricate lies against this defender of the faith. But he is unraveling their lies and their reasons for doing so with the facts of history. It is interesting to note that these Accusers have staged the complaint that Stephen is against the law of Moses. 
The ninth law of Moses plainly states, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now who is against the law of Moses? Because of the sins of the patriarchs, the nation of Israel migrates to Egypt. And that is how they eventually find themselves under the hard bondage of Pharaoh. Even though the Jews of Stephen's day are in the promised land, the nation of Israel is under Roman domination and not free to enjoy the benefits of the land. The Jewish people have a history of forgetfulness. And by the way, so do we. That's why God will move upon my heart at times to re-preach a message. To go over the same thing over and over and over. We need to be reminded that's how we remember. That's how we learn is through remembering what God. I heard someone say that there's power in remembering. You know what we do when we do the Lord's Supper? We do it in remembrance of Him. The Jewish people have a history of forgetfulness. During the days of Jesus, they made ridiculous claims of liberty. Jesus told him in, in John chapter 8, verse 32 and 33, and he said, And ye shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never, look at this ridiculous statement, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They were in bondage to Pharaoh. They were in bondage to Rome at the time that they made that statement. And they said, we've never been in bondage. Stephen is calling their attention to the facts of their past and undeniably building his case of defense. He talks to them about their rejected blessing. In verses 17 through 29, he said, But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtlety with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nursed up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up. And nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed. And smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye be brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Median, where he begat two sons. Going further with his case, Stephen then shows them again from their history how God raised a deliverer among them who would defend them by the name of Moses. Rather than accept this deliverer, 
They rejected Moses, and as a result of their rejection, he fled from them for 40 years. Our passage begins with the words, but when the time of the promise drew nigh. During this time of drawing nigh, God put it in the heart of Moses to visit his people. <clears throat> but his people rejected him as a judge and deliverer. So Moses did the natural thing and left the people who rejected him. Stephen is compounding his argument and showing these leaders that they're guilty of lying with the motive of envy and they have rejected their deliverer by the name of Jesus. In the fullness of times, God sent his son to the Jewish people and they rejected this God sent blessing just like the fathers had done with Moses. In John 1, 10 through 11, we read these words. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, speaking of the Jews, and his own received him not. Then he talks to him about the Redeemer's benevolence. He said in verses 30 through 36, And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him, talking about Moses, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him saying, I'm the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from, off, from thy feet. For the place where thou standest is holy ground. I've seen, I've seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt. And I've heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. Stephen is very proficient in the history of the nation of Israel. His knowledge is pouring out and the Sanhedrin court must be astounded as they listen to this accused man's wisdom and insight. Their history is rich with God's blessings. As he brings them from their humble beginnings to their present standing, their national pride escalates to an all-time high. And at the same time, their forefathers' sins of rejecting and plotting against God's provisions are a scathing indictment of their present scheming. Stephen points them to the fact that God is so merciful to them that even after the rejection of Moses, God still sent him back to them to deliver them out of their bondage. That is exactly what Jesus Christ will do at his second advent. Even though the nation of Israel has and is in a state of denial and rejection, as a nation, they will be redeemed by this same rejected Savior. We read about this in Romans eleven twenty-five and 26. It says this, it said, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant <coughs> of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Excuse me. 
That blindness in part has happened to Israel <coughs> until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. Thou shalt come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Before Stephen introduces his concluding remarks, he shows these judges and rulers that they have no other savior than the one whom God has already sent to them. Moses was rejected at first, but after some time, God sent this same Moses back to their defense as their deliverer. The acceptance or rejection of Jesus Christ is an individual decision. The gospel expresses it as whosoever believeth. Whosoever calleth upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. The individuals of this council have a decision to make. They do not have to commit the same crime that their forefathers have made. Through the illustration of Moses, Stephen warns them that before their nation's future deliverance, there will be wonders and signs in the land. The nation of Israel is headed for the great tribulation, which will be seven years of the most tragic events this world has ever seen. The church will not go through the tribulation, but the rejecting nation of Israel will. Individual Jews can be saved, not by the law of Moses, but by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you are a Jewish person reading this, turn your heart to Jesus Christ. There is no other means of salvation. There is no other Savior. Trust Him for it is too late. Speaking about the Jews and their individual hearts, Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13 through 16. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, speaking of the Old Testament. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day. When Moses is read. The veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless. When it. Your heart. Shall turn to the Lord. The veil. Shall be taken away. Satan's aim is to blind every person's heart. Jew or Gentile. To the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you turn your heart to Jesus Christ. That blindness will forever disappear. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4, But if a gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The gospel is all-inclusive, Jew or Gentile. Trust Jesus Christ today. Amen. Amen. If you're glad you have trusted him, say amen. 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 That's our lesson for tonight. I pray that it helping you with the book of Acts. It's, it's been a blessing to study it and work on this lesson. And pray that what's been said tonight has opened your eyes to some truths. Um, we wanna we wanna dismiss in a word of prayer and then remember Sister Michelle's wanting to undefinite.